to talk today about the God who is holy. The God who is holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Isaiah chapter 6 beginning in verse 1. It reads, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the entire temple. And above Him stood seraphim, each had six wings, and with two He covered His face, and with two He covered His feet, and with two He flew. And one called to the other, one cried a proclamation to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of all hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called out. This was not the voice of God. This was the voice of the angel in worship. In other words, worship was so powerful and worship was so strong that the thresholds of the temple shook at the voice of Him who called out, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and he had a, a, in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar of God. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, Lord, send me, send me. And he said, Okay, go and say to this people, Keep on hearing but don't understand. And keep on seeing, but don't perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, Lord? And he said, Until the cities lie waste without inhabitant." and the houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. You can be seated. If you would, join me in a word of prayer as we start. Father in heaven, I come to you this morning because this is your word. Lord, it's living and powerful as long as it's sent by you as long as it's inspired by you. Father, my prayer is that you would inspire this word, that, Lord, it would be presented in such a way that lives are changed. Lord, that we truly understand what it means to worship. Lord, I pray that we would see ourselves as as people with unclean lips who try to give praise to God without seeing Him for who He is. And Father, my prayer is that you show us just a glimpse of who you are this morning. 
that you would reveal just a glimpse of the great I am and that it would move us in such a way that we would humble ourselves and cry to one another about your holiness and who you are. Father, I pray this morning for um, our family. Father, I pray for, um, for the Linda Harwell's family. Father, I pray for Mr. Reynolds' family. Father, I pray that, Lord, you would help them to, um, to grieve but to put their hope in you as they mourn the loss of a father, brother, husband, grandfather. Father, whichever, whatever he may have been to folks, I, I pray for that family this morning. And I just pray that you would help them to grieve with joy in their heart. Father, I pray this morning and I, I pray for, for Martha and for her arm. And I thank you for, uh, for protecting her that she only had a broke arm, Father. And Lord, I just pray that you would comfort her, that you would relieve her pain. And that, Lord, you would just uh, uh, cause her to, to continue to be able to serve you with all of her might, God. Father, I pray this morning for um, the Peterson family. Father, I pray for um, Nathan's aunt, for his, uh, his father, Lord, that lost his sister. Father, that's recently lost his wife. Father, that's had so many trials in his own health here recently. And God, my prayer is that you would just um, strengthen him. Not necessarily in body, but yes, that is what we ask for. But I pray you strengthen him in faith, God. Lord, I pray that right now... Your strength is made perfect in his weakness. I pray that right now his family is able to see him depend on you more than ever. I pray that his hope only increases in you and that his joy for, to see you, his longing to be with you only increases through this time, God. Father, I pray that your strength is made perfect in his weakness, God. So, Father, I pray if it be your will, strengthen his body. But nevertheless, Lord, you, you show the strength that you give in faith and faith alone. And, Father, I pray this morning just for the rest of the family, for whatever trials they're going through or whatever sufferings they're enduring, whatever grieves, whatever they're grieving. Father, I just pray that you would, you would provide everything that's needed for us to be able to keep our eyes on you and to worship you no matter what we are facing in our lives, God. Father, I pray that you would always be at the front of things and that we're able to, to keep our joy even though there are many times that we're sorrowful. I pray that you would help us to be sorrowful yet always rejoicing because of what we have in you. Father, again, open your word up to us this morning. Show us just a glimpse of who you are. It is our only hope of having eyes and being able to see. Lord, I don't want to keep having eyes but not see. I don't want to keep having ears but not hear. Father, I don't want my heart to be dull. Father, I want to have eyes that see you. I want to have ears that hear you and believe you. And I want to have a heart that is so rejoicing because of who you are that it pours out into everybody around us. Father, that's our goal in what we're doing. And I pray you accomplish that from your word this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you. We ask you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been teaching through a series entitled Getting to Know God. Um, the reason my burden for this, my burden for this came at the end of last year and, and, and I, I realized that the truth of the matter is 
And Nick has talked about this before. We, we've looked and said, well, why is the church on a decline? Because no matter where you look at, we were looking at another little church um, just a, a few days ago, and, and I think I saw the, they had the little attendance thing on the board, and the attendance was 20 people. And, um, and then I, I talked to some other people. I'm trying not to name any kind of names, but I talked to some other people about another church, and you know they were telling me that, well, it's, it's just dying. I mean, it's every, everybody's leaving to go uh, somewhere else, or they're not going to church at all. And, um, and, and this church, basically, they're, they're just a dying church, and there may be 20, 25 people that show up, and, and they're just trying to, to stay together as a family and just keep going. And the truth of the matter is, I believe one of the primary reasons that the church is on a decline is because we as a people, and especially as a Christian people, have lost the concept of the majesty of God. (laughs) We have eyes, but we can't see. We have ears, but we can't hear. We have hearts, but they can't feel because they're dull. They're numb. All the things of the world have have comforted it and satisfied it to the point that it yearns for nothing. That's the truth of it. We have surrendered what used to be a lofty concept of the majesty of God and we have turned that loose and now we as Christians have substituted that for one so low that there is no hope for genuine worship to come from these lips. That there is no hope for genuine awe to come from our spirits and from our hearts. That's hard, ain't it? But that's the truth. You know, Isaiah was a scribe. He served in the temple of God. He served providing the Word of God. But yet... When he finally had eyes to see, you know what he said about his self and his church-going self? I am lost. Those are his exact words. I am lost. I have unclean lips and any worship that even comes from these lips is not even worthy of him. And not only that, but I dwell in the midst of a people, the children of God... I live in the kingdom of the children of God and I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips. And no words that come from our lips with the eyes that we have and the ears that we have and the heart that we have, no worship could ever pass from here to there and be clean. I'm hopeless unless you open my eyes. I'm hopeless unless you open my ears. And I'm hopeless unless you break my heart. Y'all hearing what I'm praying for this morning? I am hopeless unless you break my heart to the point that the only satisfaction I can find is that you are my only hope. You know, Job got to that point. You know what he had to go through to get there? It's been my prayer through these teachings that we would get to know God in such a way that it moves our hearts to humble ourselves and to worship His majesty. 
So just a few quick things going over where we're, how we got to here. God has revealed Himself to us as the self-existent one, the great I Am, the one who has no origin because He is origin. He's the creator of time. There is no time that exists outside of Him. He's the creator of it and exists inside of Him. He's the creator of time. He's the creator of space. He's the creator of matter. And that's why in Genesis 1-1 the Bible starts out with in the beginning God. In the beginning what? In other words, the reason why we understand a beginning is just because of God, because God was before He created time in the beginning. That was where time began. But before time began, there was God. In the beginning, God created the heavens. He created time and then He created space. In the beginning, God created the heavens and then God created the earth because He didn't want to have just empty space but He filled it up with matter. And He says, in the beginning God created the heavens, space, and the earth, and all that is in it. And so He is the self-existing One. And everything that has this existence exists inside of time, exists inside of space, and is matter. But He is the origin of of it all. He has no beginning. He has no end. He just is. When we sing that song and we talk about what a marvelous mystery, that's what the writer of that song understood is that God is a marvelous mystery that the only thing we can do is let Him tell us who He is and us stand back and go holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come? He's the self existent one. And everything that is is because he is. That's why he told Abraham, Abraham, I am that I am. And you need to go tell my people that he is. You are because. He is. God has revealed Himself as self-sufficient. I'm going to speed through these. I can't spend all my time on this. If you haven't been here and you haven't been a part of this, I don't want you to have eyes and not be able to see. My prayer, my heart breaks this morning because I'm pre- I feel like I'm coming to the end of this thing and the truth of the matter is I feel like Isaiah here. I feel like my, my mission has been go and share and give to try to open our eyes and try to open their ears, but here's what's going to happen. Tell them to keep on having eyes, but don't see. And the reason I feel this way is because that's the way I feel in my own heart. I feel like I preached through this thing, and I feel like I've went through this thing, and then all I can do is sit here and go, God, I still don't feel like that I see you the way that I need to see you. You're showing me all this, but one of two things has happened. Either I have eyes that can't see and ears that can't hear, and a heart that's so dull that it can't feel. Or I don't believe it. Ain't that the truth? It has to be one of those two things. And so my prayer this morning is that we don't end this thing without God opening eyes 
and opening ears and breaking hearts to the point that we have no choice but to to humble ourselves before Him and cry to one another about what we see in the great I Am. God has revealed Himself as self-sufficient. He depends on no one, no thing outside of Himself for anything. He don't need food. He don't need water. He don't need shelter to survive. He doesn't need any of His creation at all. Even though He wanted it and He wants us. He doesn't need knowledge, but instead He gives knowledge because He is knowledge. He doesn't need power or strength, but instead He gives power and He gives strength because He is power and He is strength. He has no need at all for anything. That's who God is. God has revealed Himself as immutable. It is impossible for Him to change. His perfections never change. He he is always perfect in His mercy. He is always perfect in His love. He is always perfect in His anger. You know the Bible tells us, be angry but don't sin. Well, guess what? God can be angry and never sin. He is perfect in all of His ways and unchanging in all of His ways. He is perfect in His forgiveness. He's perfect in His kindness. He's per- you name it, He is perfect in it and He never changes in it. He is the same yesterday, He's the same today, and He's the same forever. His purposes never change. All of His purposes in all of creation never change. It is the same today. The purpose of God has not changed today than when Adam was created in the Garden of Eden. Satan did not change anything about the purpose of God. Your sin has not changed anything about God's purpose. His purpose is still the same. God has never sat back and and wrenched His hands and went, Oh my goodness, I just don't know what I'm going to do now. That's never been God. When God watched Adam and Eve fall in the garden, when He watched you fall in your very first sin, when He watched you born into sin, the image bearer of the great I Am, He never got back in His corner and cried and said, I just don't know what to do. His purpose has been the same from the time of creation to today, and it will be the same throughout all creation no matter what takes place. Whatever He has spoken, He will do. His purposes never change. His perfections never change. His promises never change. Whatever He's spoken, it will come to pass. So today, let's move into it. Let's talk about the God who is holy. I'm going to move a little fast. Guess what that means? you got to listen fast. This is the greatest attribute of God. This is the Mac Daddy, if you will, of all of God's attributes. When I say that God is holy, I mean there is no greater attribute. But don't make the mistake of thinking that when I say holy, I'm talking about just sinlessness. That I'm talking about moral perfection. That's not what I mean when I say Holy, or more specifically, that's not what God means when He says holy. This is His essence. When it says that God is holy, this is literally who He is. This is literally the nature of God. It is what separates Him from all other beings. 
It is what separates Him from all of His creation. It's what makes Him distinct from everything else that is, is that God is holy. You see, His perfection and His sinless purity or His moral perfection, those are attributes that we actually will share in and are commanded to share in. The Bible would put it this way, Be holy as I am holy. So yes, in that sense of holiness, that is an attribute that we are called to share in. But in the sense of holiness that the angels cry out, that's not what they're talking about. It's part of it, but it's not all of it. This attribute of holiness, y'all stay with me, this attribute of holiness can only be worshipped and adored. It is what makes God distinct from everything else. It's what makes Him who He is. The Bible never says, think about this, the Bible never says God is love, 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 even though the Bible does say that God is love. And a lot of people make the mistake of saying that love is the essence of God. No, it's not. God is love, and that is true. But God is also mercy, and God is also kind, and God is also wrath, and God is also forgiving, and God is, God is all of His perfections, but all of these perfections put together is why God is holy. The Bible never says God is love, 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 that God is merciful, merciful, merciful. The Bible never says God is forgiving, 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 or immutable, immutable, immutable. But instead, the Bible says that He is what? That's what He is. He is holy, holy, holy. This phrase, holy, 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 appears twice in the Bible. And both times it's cried by angels. And both times it occurs in the vision of a man who has been transported to the throne of God and is able to see Him in the worship of His angels. One time was in Revelations where John, the Apostle John, is transported in Revelations to the throne room of grace and he sees the throne of God. And whenever he sees this... He sees the 24 elders that are surrounding the throne and then he sees the the seraphim and the angels, an innumerable company that are surrounding the throne. And he hears them as they cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I'm sorry, I've got to get back to Revelations. Who was and is and is to come. So here's what the angels see. They have eyes and they see it. Here's what they see. They see that God has no beginning and He has no end. And they look at His self-existence and the only thing they can say is He is holy. They proclaim His holiness because He is self-existent. In Isaiah chapter 6 here, they proclaim His holiness because they see His sovereign majesty. In other words, His sovereign rule, His supreme authority. They're looking at at the ruler and the king of all kings. And then the only thing that they can say is, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. So they see His sovereign majesty and they see His unmatched glory. In other words, no matter what you look at, it's full of the glory of God. It all represents Him. In the English language, 
there are many things that we use to draw attention to something. For instance, whenever we write something and we want to draw attention to it, we might put it in italics, right? We want attention to be drawn to it, so we put it in italics. We might put it in parentheses, some way of being able to draw attention to it. Or uh, for some of you young ones or even young adults or maybe even, maybe even those that are a little older, I don't know. But if somebody sends you a text or a message in all caps, what are they doing? In other words, we have recognized today that in our language that if we want to draw attention to something and we want to make sure that people can read it in a way that they understand this is being exclaimed, we put it in all caps. Or the age-old exclamation mark. And if you really want it to be seen, you put one explanation mark, two explanation marks, three explanation marks because you want whoever reads that to understand that this is important and I want you to hear it. Right? But in the Jewish tradition, repetition is what was used to draw attention to what was being said or what was being written. It was important if it was repeated Think about it like this. When Jesus wanted to say something important, He would start off by saying, Verily, verily, I say unto you. Or He might say, Truly, truly, I say unto you. Actually, what was the original word was, Amen, amen, I say unto you. Now here's what Jesus was doing. Jesus was saying, what I'm about to tell you is absolute truth and cannot be disputed. See, here's the difference between us and Jesus as preachers. I stand up here and I start out with a statement and expect you to say, Amen. In other words, that is absolute truth. I know what you're saying is right. But Jesus, on the other hand, starts out with Amen. He don't wait on His disciples to look back at Him and say, that's true. But instead, He starts out and He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, unless a man be born again, he will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Truly, truly, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And you'll look and you'll all across the New Testament, you'll hear Jesus start out certain truths with saying, Verily, verily, truly, truly. And so if it was repeated in the Jewish tradition, it was to draw attention to it so that you understand this is important. But if they wanted to put the maximum amount of attention on something, you know what they did? They repeated it three times. They would say, Holy, holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Let me give you a few examples of that. Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 4 through 10. It says, Do not trust in deceptive words saying, This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Let's keep reading to see why they were saying this. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, and if you truly practice justice between a man and his neighbor, and if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, nor walk after other gods to your own ruin, 
Then I will let you dwell in this place in the land that I give to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, you are trusting in deceptive words to no avail. What were the words they were trusting in? The temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the house of God. This is the house of God. This is the house of God. But nothing we do here represents God. But this is the house of God. Now, I'm not saying that's true for us. I'm just saying, imagine that that's what we're taking place right here. In verse 9, he says, But will you steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and offer sacrifices to Baal, and walk after other gods that you have not known? Then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered, that you may do all these abominations. Here's what... Jeremiah was trying to get across more specifically God. He's saying, listen, you put all your confidence in saying, this is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. And yet it's words to no avail. You put all the emphasis you want on it, it don't make no difference because it ain't true. But we see the example there that They wanted to make sure that everybody understand our confidence is in that this is the temple of the Lord. Jeremiah 22 verse 29. We see another example. Jeremiah says, O land, 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 hear the word of the Lord. So in other words, there again you see the repetition that takes place and when it was most important and when someone wanted to put the most emphasis on it, They repeated it three times and they said, land, land, land. It would be like if I had something that was so heavy on my heart for you that I cried it with everything in me and the only thing I could say is, oh, church, church, church. Hear the word of the Lord. And hopefully it's got everybody's attention and there is nothing else that people are thinking about. Their minds are in no other place. But instead, because I have just repeated that three times, everybody that was asleep went, He's talking to me. And you're right. Look at one last example, 2 Samuel 18, verse 33. And this is a more personal example, but it still makes my point. The king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And thus he said as he walked, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. It's more personal, but here's the point that you get. Even we do it in our own lives. How many times have you wanted somebody to believe you so bad that you would say, I swear, I swear, I swear. Right? In the same sense, this is what the Jewish tradition is trying to get across. There is no greater exclamation and no greater thing that they want you to understand than something that has been repeated three times. So in Revelations chapter 4, the angels say God is holy, holy, holy because He was and because He is and because He is to come. In other words, He is holy because He is self-existent. There is nothing and no one like Him. It is His essence. It is what makes Him separate from everything else in this life. Do y'all get that? Okay. In Isaiah chapter 6, get there with me. In Isaiah chapter 6, we see that God is holy because of His sovereign majesty. In other words, His supreme greatness or His supreme authority. Look at verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now here's what you need to understand. 
It's important to understand that this happened in the year that King Uzziah died. Here's a little background you need to know. King Uzziah reigned 52 years in Judah. Somebody think of the greatest president that you can ever remember. For some of you, it's Ronald Reagan. For some of you, you may think Bill Clinton. Who knows? I don't know. Somebody may be there. But whatever it was, imagine that whatever the era you lived in that had the leader that you thought to yourself, man, this guy knows how to run a nation. Maybe for some of you sorry people, you think it's now. I don't know. But anyway, let me move on. All right. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, forgive me. All right, but here's the point. King Uzziah reigned for 52 years. And in this 52 years, here's a few things that happened. He built the largest army that Judah had ever seen. For those of you that are taking notes, you can actually get all this from 2 Chronicles chapter 26. I'm not making this up. You go back and read it for yourself. He built the largest army that Judah had ever seen. He conquered all the lands of the Philistines, their greatest enemy. He conquered all their lands. He broke down all their walls. And he built cities around their massive cities. He conquered the Arabians, the Mennonites. He built massive watchtowers in Jerusalem and in the desert. He dug wells and caused agriculture to prosper all over the desert land. He was growing crops in the desert for the people. That's what kind of king this guy was. He built weapons for the army to shoot arrows, to throw stones from towers. Y'all ever seen those um, catapults that actually they put the stones in and then they, and the stones go flying? That's this guy. King Uzziah actually invented that. Go back and read it. If you think I'm lying, 2, Corinthians, 2 Chronicles 26. The entire army had shields. The entire army had swords, spears, helmets, body armor. His fame spread far and wide. So it's no surprise that Isaiah starts out, listen, in the year that King Uzziah died, after 52 years of prosperous reign of nothing but growing and kingdom growth, all of a sudden, what happened? Got a new president. Don't know how this is going to turn out. But in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw something. I saw the Lord. That word is actually translated Adonai. It means the supreme authority, the sovereign one. In the year that the greatest king I have ever seen, in the year that he died, God gave me eyes to see the supreme authority, the sovereign one on the throne. And his throne was high and lifted up. So here's the thing that he wants you to understand. Isaiah saw what the angels already knew. He is the king of all kings. There is no ruler like his ruler. There is is no crown bigger than his crown and there is no throne bigger than his throne. Just a few scriptures to back that up. Revelations chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, it says, Around the throne were 24 thrones. And upon the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their head. But let's keep reading. I want to keep going through this. Let's go on to verse 5. I didn't give Nathan this. You may have to listen. Out from the throne come flashes of lightning 
and sounds and peals of thunder. Anybody remember that verse this morning from the song? And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front of behind. You're looking at the seraphim here that you're also going to see in Isaiah chapter 6. And then verse 7 it says, The first creature was like a lion, and the second creature like a calf, and the third creature had a face like that of a man, and the fourth creature was like that of a flying eagle, and the four living creatures, each one of them having how many wings? Remember that when we get back to Isaiah. Having six wings are full of eyes around and within. In other words, they have eyes everywhere, so they have no choice but to do what? They see Him for all that He is having eyes all around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to God, remember the angels are just doing this, and when it happens, verse 10, the 24 elders, remember they had crowns on their head, right? Golden crowns. The 24 elders will fall down before Him who sits on the throne and will worship Him who lives forever and ever and will do what? They cast their thrones, their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. Here's what the ruler and every wise ruler understands. My throne is absolute nothing in comparison to His throne. He is the supreme ruler. He is Adonai. He is the sovereign one. And so we cast our crowns at His throne because He is the only one worthy of this. And because of His supreme rule, because of His sovereign authority, the only thing we can say is what the angels are saying unceasingly because of the eyes they have to see. Holy, holy Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Very quickly, Ephesians 1 verse 21. It says, Far above all rule and all authority and all power and all dominion and even every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the age to come. And He puts all things in subjection under His feet and He gave Him His head over all things to the church which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills All in all. The point being that He is far above any rule or authority that you can think of. Isaiah 40 verse 23 through 26. It says, He it is who reduces rulers to nothing. He brings princes to nothing and He makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely have they been planted, scarcely have they been sown, scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth. But He merely blows on them and they wither. And the storm carries them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me that I would be His equal or that I should be like Him? In other words, God said, find me a ruler that is like me. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him? Says who? The one whom no one or anything is like. The one whom no one or anything can compare to. 
He brings all the rulers that we think are the greatest to nothing. The truth of the matter is, I don't care if President Trump is Trump or if President Obama is president. I don't care. You know why I don't care? Because Adonai is still on the throne. And Proverbs 21 verse 1 says this, The king's heart is like channels of water, or the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. And what does he do with it? He turns it wherever he wills. His purposes don't change no matter who's on the throne of the United States of America. I need y'all to get that this morning. Somebody look at me and say, Amen. His purposes don't change no matter who is on the throne. Because here's the thing about it. When Pharaoh was in Egypt, you know whose whose hand his heart was in? The Holy One, the Supreme Authority, the Sovereign Ruler. When President Obama was on the throne of the United States, you know whose hand his heart was in? And all they're doing is living out his purposes. That's all they're doing. And it'll all be for his glory's sake. So there is no ruler that compares to Adonai, the sovereign supreme ruler, even the greatest ones like Uzziah. The angels see this and Isaiah sees this. i got to move quicker. Mm. All right, let's go. Next, Isaiah saw God's unmatched glory. Look with me, if you would, at the end of verse 1. And the train of His robe filled the temple. Now tradition has always held that the way that you could measure the status of royalty was by the clothes that they wore. And in particular, the train of their garment. R.C. Sproul taught on this and he said the first TV show he remembers seeing or the first thing he saw on TV was the coronation of Queen Elizabeth. And, he, and, and I looked it up on YouTube whenever I, whenever I heard him teach it on it and I watched it. You can go home and do it yourself. And she came down through Westminster Abbey with such pomp and, 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 and such majesty. Her train of her robe was so heavy and so long that it took, I think it was seven people on each side picking up, holding it, and one at the end just to carry it behind her as she gracefully walked through. And you couldn't help. See, we don't understand royalty today. We don't get that. But you can't help but watch that and think, wow, that is, that is amazing. That's majesty. And here's what God, Isaiah, saw about God. The train of His robe filled the whole temple. (laughs) You didn't have enough people to pick it up and carry it. He didn't even need anybody to pick it up and carry it for Him. Because there is no glory that can compare and match to this God So with this knowledge that God is holy because He is self-existent, because He is self-sufficient, because He is sovereign, because He supremely rules over all and His purposes are all accomplished, because His glory is unmatchable. Because of all of these things, the question is, what will happen to us? What's going to happen to you if you'll just catch a glimpse of God's holiness the way that Isaiah did? 
What's going to happen to me if I can catch just a glimpse of, of the holiness of God the way the seraphim do? The first thing that happens, worship's going to happen. Worship will happen. Look at verses 2 through 4. Above him stood seraphim, and each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. Here's the thing you need to understand. I'm just getting started. When God creates something, He creates it to be fitted for its environment. You have lungs because you live out and you breathe oxygen. You have legs because you move from one place to the other. And you have hands and you have opposable thumbs that are different from other things so that you can, can perform the task that you have been created for, the purpose you've been created for. Uh, fish have gills because they live in water. Everything God creates, birds have wings because they... Everything that is created, God fitted for its environment. So when He made these angels, these are the angels of the highest order. They're seraphim. They're literally translated, the name is translated, the burning ones. They are fiery creatures. And they're caretakers at the throne of God. And, and all they can do is stand in the presence of God. And even though they are perfect, even though they are fitted for their environment with everything they need to stand directly in the presence at the throne of God, God still gives them six wings. Why do they need six wings? Because with two, they cover their face. Now listen, these are sinless creatures created for this environment. And yet in the glory of God, when they stand at it, they take two wings and they cover their face because they, they can't look upon it. And with two wings, they cover their feet because they cannot be naked in the presence of this Almighty. They cover themselves. And with two wings that they've got left... They fly and they look with eyes all around them and they see all the glory of God represented in all the ways that He is glorious, His sovereign rule, His supreme authority, His unmatched glory. And one thing happens, worship. They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. In other words, is the Lord of all of His creation. The whole earth is full of His glory. Worship happens when you see the holiness of God. That's the reason why you're so satisfied and so consumed with the things of the world. That's why church is not important. That's why we try to find every excuse we can to get out of it. That's why we say, listen, I'll get up and go to work at 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock in the morning or whenever it is, and I'm, I'm going to make sure that I get there because my paycheck is more important than seeing who He is. And that's the truth. I'm not trying to be mean. I don't care if you don't come back. <laughs> Fire me. Please fire me. <laughs> That's the truth, guys. That's the truth. This is the heart 
of our sin, or, or at least the heart of our problem. Romans chapter 2, verse 21 through 25. Listen to this. Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Here's why. They claimed to be wise, but they became fools. Here's how they became fools. Because they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images of mortal man and created things. In other words, they saw the glory of God. They knew Him, but they did not honor Him. They did not glorify Him. They did not worship Him. But instead, they looked at all the created things and they traded. They said, God... We would rather have this than this. We would rather have immortal. No, we would rather have mortal than immortal. This is the heart of our problem. And so, therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to the dishonoring of the body among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. What's the truth about God? That He is the most valuable reality in all the universe. And the only thing we're worried about is if we get out of here at 12 o'clock. That's the truth of it. That's our biggest concern. I'm not going to come to church here because they don't get out in time. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So the second thing that happens in Isaiah when we see the glory of God, when God gives us eyes and when He gives us ears to hear and when He gives us faith to believe, when that happens, the second thing that takes place is we recognize our failed worship even as churchgoers. Look at verse 5 with me. And I said, woe is me. Isaiah, a scribe, a worshiper, a lover of God. And he sees the holiness of God and the only thing he can say is, woe. Woe is me. For I am what? You ever felt that way? Woe is me for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. You know why Isaiah said unclean lips? Because he's a worshiper. He's a, he's a speaker of the Word of God. He's a writer of the Word of God. And even still, he says, I do not do him justice with these lips because I don't see him. I hadn't seen him for who he is. So woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. And not only that, the truth of the matter is, Isaiah judged his own people. And he said, Thou shalt not judge. But he knew the truth. He looked around and he said, And the truth of the matter is, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. We recognize our failed worship, even as worshipers. We recognize that... The truth of the matter is we love the mortal more than we do the immortal. We would rather trade the, 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 the glory for an image. That's the truth of it. And then I love what happens next because when he recognized this, the third thing that happens when we see the holiness of God, you actually get redeemed. You actually get saved for the first time in your life. Look what happens in verse 6. Then, uh, uh, let me, I can't miss this part, verse 5, the end of it. 
The reason he recognized this is for my eyes have seen. What? For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I see Him for who He is and I see Him in all of His holiness. And because of that, I just recognize that I fail in my worship and honoring Him and being thankful to Him. And then the response to that comes from verse 6. Then one of the seraphim, who are the caretakers of God's throne, they flew to him, having a hand, having in his hand a burning coal. Remember, they're burning ones, so they having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Why his lips? Because his sin was failed worship. You know what the heart of your sin is? Failure to worship. That's it. And he said, this has touched your lips, so guess what? Your guilt's taken away. And your sin is atoned for. And I love this last one. This is my last thing, or at least the last one I'm going to mention to you. Here's the last thing that happens when we see the holiness of God. We desire to serve Him. Y'all listen to me, please. We desire to serve Him happily, no matter the job. I, don't want, I never have wanted to insult people, but I've often wanted to, and I, and I probably will one day because I, I'm kind of getting to that point where I really don't care. <laughs> um... um but I've often wanted to look at maybe some Sunday school teachers or, some, or maybe even some musicians or maybe even some, some media or maybe even some uh, security. And I, I, I've often wanted to look at some of the servants of God and go, you know what, if I give you my paycheck, would you be on time? If I give you my paycheck, would you do it for money? Would you sacrifice a little bit more time through your week if I give you my paycheck? Is that what it would take to actually get you to serve Him? And to be happy about it? And not feel like it's a burden? I'm not trying to make you mad this morning. I'm trying to give you eyes. Do y'all see that? Somebody say, you see it. I'm trying to give you ears. I'm trying to break your heart. Because I know when that happens, you will serve Him with everything in you. And you'll quit worshiping and serving this creation. Guys, can I tell you this morning that if I'm talking to you and this is hitting you to the point that you understand that my service ain't to God, my worship ain't to God, but my worship my service is to mortal and to images... Can I tell you this morning that you're just like Isaiah, that you need to look up here at God and say, God, I'm lost. Can I, can I tell you this morning that you're going to be one of those that he looks at and says, many say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. And he says, who are you? Never knew you. I don't want that. I don't want that for any of us. And so what happens is we desire to serve Him happily no matter the job. Look with me at verse 8. <clears throat> After all this has happened, and Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord saying, 
Who shall I send? And who will go for us? And without even hearing the job first. I love this. is one of my favorite calls in all the Bible. Without even hearing the job first. You know what Isaiah says? Hey, I'm right here. Me, me, can I go? Can I do it? I want to do it. I want to serve. Let, let me, let me serve you. And he is excited and happy about it. It's not a burden. I can't get this across to you enough. You're the church. You're the body of Christ. And it's hard to get teachers to show up sometimes. Sometimes it's hard to get servants that just want to do their role or at least do it enough so that they're decent at it. You know why? Because they haven't seen His holiness yet. Because when they do, they have a desire to serve Him happily no matter what the job. Here I am. Send me. And then God gives him the job. Look at verse 9. And he said, okay, here's what I want you to do. Go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. In other words, you've heard all about it. You've had preachers stand before you and they have proclaimed the holiness of God. So I'm going to tell you what to do. Keep on hearing. But don't understand. Don't get it. Keep on hearing and don't get it because that's what you've been doing. Keep on hearing but don't get it. Keep on seeing but don't see. Because that's what we've been doing. And finally, verse 10... Make the heart of this people dull, Isaiah. In other words, Isaiah, they're not even going to like you. They're not going to like your preaching. They're not going to like what you have to say. Their heart's going to be dull. Can't even break it with a chisel. Make their eyes heavy. Put them to sleep, Isaiah. I do pretty good at that. And, And blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Does that sound like a fun job? But Isaiah, remember, he's all about it. Here I am, send me. Okay, here's what you do. And what do you think Isaiah's response to this is? Go with me to verse 11. Then I said, somebody answer that, what Isaiah said. Nick, you ever been pastor here and thought to yourself, how long, Lord? How long, Lord? And look what he said. Until the cities lay waste. Until they're without inhabitant, until houses are without people, until the land is a desolate waste. You know how long we serve God? There is no retirement plan for the ministers of God. The retirement plan is when the cities are laid waste and we sit before Him and we sit or we kneel before His throne and we worship with the angels as we see His holiness and the only thing we can proclaim is holy, 
holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. There's no ruler that will ever be greater than Him. There is no glory that could ever match His. I can't even look upon it. I need something. I need to be fitted with something that I can just cover my face and my feet. And I just want to serve Him no matter what it takes. In closing, I can't go no further. In closing, my question is this. Do you want to worship Him? Do you want to? Because this has been my heart. My heart was, God, I want to worship you. I don't want to be a pastor of unclean lips. Some of you got that. Some of you didn't. That's okay. I don't want to be a deacon of unclean lips. I don't want to be a pianist or a song leader or a guitar player of unclean lips and unclean hands. I don't want to be a servant of uncleanliness. I want to see you for who you are and I want to worship you the way that you are worthy of. At least as much as you allow me to. But you've got to have eyes. You've got to have eyes that can see. You've got to have ears that can hear. And you've got to have a heart that will break. If you do that, you'll worship Him. Do you want to be redeemed for your failed worship? I do. Do you want to see everything else in the world as more valuable than Him? I don't. I want to see Him as the most valuable reality in, in all the universe. Do you want to be able to rejoice in the service even whenever it's hard and it makes you say from time to time, How long, Lord? I want to be like Paul and say, I'm sorrowful, but I'm always rejoicing. It hurts and it's hard, but I'm always rejoicing. Our only hope is that each one of us will pray and plead with God to show us His holiness. You know, I told God sitting in a recliner last night, I said, you know what? If you do to me what you did to Isaiah, I could get there. And God said, but wait a minute, I, I just gave it to you in Isaiah. <laughs> the problem is that you see it, but you don't believe it. That's the problem. I'm done. Y'all stand. <clears throat> I love you with all of my heart and I want to see you with open eyes, with open ears and with broken hearts for the glory of God and for the holiness of God. We serve a God who is holy. The question is, are you honoring Him for His worth? Are you serving Him for His worth? Do you worship Him? for His worth. Only you can answer that. What is your motivation? What is the most valuable thing in all the universe to you? It'll be known by the way that you live your life and by what you do with your life. That's the truth of it.